welcome to another episode of From Red to Black, a Homicide Life on the Street podcast. This is Joe. This is Daniel. As usual, we'll try to take you through a uh, full episode of Homicide, recapping it and discussing it in depth. This was first aired, aired Friday, 10 p.m. December 16th. Quick recap. Munch spreads his usual Christmas cheer. Russert, who misses detective work, joins Meldrick on an investigation into the murder of a material witness. The writer's the writer was Henry Bromwell, and it was directed by Peter Maydeck. Called All Through the House. Yeah, um, <laughs> A really fun uh, seasonal episode. Now, this one we were also talking about played out of order, too, because they wanted this to coincide with the holidays. Correct, yeah. Um, obviously. Um, and kind of a return to form. I feel like we've had a couple episodes here where we've kind of broken away from our you know, two or three story strands, an A, a B, and a C plot. We have that definitely going on here. Um, so which story do we want to... Do you want to start with? Uh, why don't you start with um, Megan and um, Lewis? Yeah, probably like the most real storyline. The, the most homicide feeling storyline yeah. here. Um, and yeah, probably the most graphic. Um, they pick up a case. Uh, or I guess Lewis picks up a case. It starts with him. He's just there by himself. And it is like the torch remains of a charred human on a couch in some alleyway. Right, like he even asks, he's like, "What did the neighbors see?" And they said, "What neighbors?" Right. And just pan around to show absolutely nothing. Right. Um, it, it, it's really not a very good case. Yeah, doesn't look like there's anything no. really going for it. Uh, they do have the can though. There's so there's some kerosene right. bucket there. Beyond that, it's not good. Yeah, and so he uh, gets back to, or I guess he goes to the morgue. And he has the, they do the dental records, and through that they're able to identify a name. And they, I guess they do the, I'm trying to think of what what point it is that uh, Russert gets involved. But well, he comes back to the station, and that's when she says, hey, I want to go with you. Well, but no, it's because it's the, the person who was burned was testifying... That's correct. ...in a case that she had. This That's right. A, a while back. Boots... Ch- Boots Chicken? Yeah. You're yeah. right. So... So uh, that's her interest. Yeah. So she, like, just lost a witness. And that's why they end up later in the episode going to Danvers, too. Right. Because they're like, hey, your witness for this case is... And, and without this witness, they have no case. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, kind of a... Kind of a... And so... Through this, we're getting... We haven't seen Russert in a while. No. And we're kind of getting... Um, I, I like the idea of kind of infusing her back into the into the show, but also into the role of just being a regular police officer and not being the shift commander. Um, I mean, she's just fun to watch. You know, she's just she's a great actress, and I, I think uh, the character is interesting. Um, also, we, like, we need someone for um, Meldrick Lewis to play off of. And really... He hasn't gotten enough screen time overall, period. Right. So anytime you do anything to put him on the screen, 
I'm all for it. I, I guess that's what happens, right? So, like, if you have uh, John Polito, like, bows out of this season for whatever reasons, like, then he, the storylines that you would give to him and his partner, right? His partner kind of drops off, too, right? It's hard. Yeah. How do you work Lewis into a show right. that's about that dynamic? So, um, anyway, uh, Lewis's loss is our gain because I think watching him and Russert, if that became, like, a... In some bizarro world where a shift commander could just become a regular cop, which you know is probably the bizarro mm. word of a televised mm. or bizarro world of a televised cop show. Um, I would love to see them, the two of them together. They were good together. Yeah, they and, had chemistry. Even though Meldrick was very reluctant, with good reason at first, I think he was comfortable. Yeah. Right. Eventually. Yeah. Because she didn't try to pull any crap on him. Yeah, it's kind of like a K. Howard and Bo Felton a little bit. In that, like, he seems like... She seems so squared away. And he seems so kind of rough around the edges. You know, like, more like... Uh, like a goofball. Where yeah. she where she is, like, pretty by the book. Strict. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so they... They go some really crazy places in this episode. <laughs> Uh, they go to the mother of the the person who's burned the remains they they found to let them know, and she's like some kind of like aristocratic socialite. Yeah, wealthy. That was weird. Yeah, what a weird character. I feel like I've seen her before too. She was in The Sopranos. Okay. She was the mother. That's exactly. Yeah. And she was in Lou Grant. She was the editor of the paper. Okay. Nancy Marchand. Yeah. Pretty famous. Yeah, I was like, you know, it looks just like Tony Soprano's mother, but I, I mean, it didn't sound like her at all. Yeah, she it's definitely her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, she's just kind of like this, like rich, uh, wealthy beyond belief, and also like probably a little, I don't know, a little nuts or something. The way that she was screaming at the. To me, you could tell right away she was not happy. She was rich. But yeah, she was odd. Yeah, right. And I guess that's kind of feeds into the storyline, too, of this, you know, we find little glimpses of her relationship with her daughter through the two or three interactions that Russert and Lewis have with her. Um, she's obsessing over the tree, and she's talking about her, when she was a little kid, how they would do it. And now she has, for someone who is so obsessed about the Christmas tree, she's not touching any of the ornaments herself. Right. She's having her maids and the butlers or whatever set it all up. And, and what kind of reaction does she really have to her daughter dying? Yeah, right. I mean, right. Well, like, and so that's that's her like her immediate response is like she was always out of money. Yeah. So she right. she immediately quote equates money and right, life. Right. Um. Definitely, just an odd. Do you think she, was she anticipating? Was she just waiting for the day? I think she was waiting for the day. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so they they see her the first time, and they inform her, and then they, they'll come back to that later in the episode. But in the meantime, uh, they also go to uh, Boots, Boots' house. So I'm going to assume, is Boots Chiggin, was that the character's name? Uh, Boots Chiggins, um, is in jail right now? 
I, I don't know. Because I don't think we see that character. We see that character's family. Right. So they go there, and as they come up, we have a, a typical homicide swing in this episode <laughs> when someone, oh, they open up the door and someone immediately pulls a rifle. Right. Or some kind of shotgun on the two of them. Yeah. yeah. That was, like, tense. That caught me yeah. by surprise. Um, and then we, uh, Boots' uh, children are running around, and uh, his wife is there, and she's saying that, um, I guess, like, not really totally incriminating stuff, but she's uh, seeming to be pretty heartless about what's happened. Um, and I think at that point, had they seen Danvers yet, or no? No. All right, so so next up they're going to go see Danvers. And, uh, again, this story takes place on Christmas Eve. Uh, Danvers is at home, ready for some guests to come over. Yeah, because I was wondering at first, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. Like, he's all by himself. He's all dressed up. What's going on? Yeah, right. And, by the way, Kay is not one of them. Right. So she's working. As now. Yeah, right. she's working. Um yeah, he's like got some. It seems like he's got some music on. Yeah. He, the French press was all set to go yeah, yeah. to. Um, so they come in and uh, pull him back into work. He's got to go to work. Um, I guess to get uh, details on the case and to figure out if they can match a name with whatever prints they find on the kerosene. Um, certainly they do. Uh, I have a thing here where there's a scene where Russert and Lewis talk about the snow. Um, there was. I don't even remember what it was. But there was a lot of that. Just kind of like character develop, development, world building, what we already know about these characters and kind of them comparing notes a little bit. Um, just the two of them kind of waxing philosophical, which I feel like is kind of the essence of this show. Of course. Right? It's like really fun char- character stuff about them uh, that has less to do about the case that they're working on. Um, so uh, another interesting scene mm-hmm. in this... There, there was a lot of... I think there's a lot of stuff that I... Like we were saying, like there's quotable lines hmm. in this for sure. But this is the first time I think... We, we actually see them like... They're staking out at a... Like a drug den. Like a, a crack house or whatever. And like that feels like something that really... I mean, that's what The Wire is all about. You know, like... It almost feels like a... Oh, crossing a line for this show... And he never did that before. Yeah, and then they go in there, and you can see the people, you know, the scatter. Yeah, the terrible after. conditions there yeah. and stuff. But you're right; they normally didn't get involved in that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting to see that uh, how out of not out of place, but how how different a flavor that was for this show. To know that that's really where a lot of this ends up uh, with the wire is going right there. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they find uh, the person that they're looking for, and he tells them, uh, I sold the kerosene to Boots's wife. Right. So she's the one that has... And does he say something about the fingerprints, or that he smelled kerosene on her, or something? I don't remember. No, okay. I don't remember. Um... But why do they believe him? Right, that's that's the crazy part of this. Why story. they just say, "Yeah, right." <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get that part. That and they're like, "Yep, that's it." Yeah, because then the next scene is them at with with this story is them rushing into 
Boots Chicken's home and arresting her. Right. So, I mean, that's it's like, like a, a foolproof plan to any kind of fingerprints. I know. Just, I sold them the gun. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess there's some... That was odd. Yeah, I think I guess there's some piece that's missing from there. Um, but who knows? Um, but that's not the end of that story. Uh, this episode, kind of like the, the one from last week, Went into like 47, 48 minutes. Went a little bit longer. And um, I'm digging that last mm. five minutes. Uh, <laughs> I like it. So we, um, they're just kind of like talking about their love lives. Um, Russert talks about her husband. And um, Lewis, I guess, just kind of like talks about being a bachelor. It sounds like yes. he didn't have too much. Cooking. Yeah, to, or to bring to that conversation. Right. Um, I, I really s- sensed some loneliness on both their parts. Yeah. I mean, it was not... I mean, there was a definite theme of the whole episode um, to me about Christmas and how really, for the most part, these people were not happy. And not just at work, but like Lewis. He's got nothing cooking. Yeah. Megan. She's got no husband. She does have her daughter. Right. So, I mean, just those two, it was like, wasn't all that great. Yeah. Like, like something about the fact that Russert, on Christmas Eve, on a, on a, where everyone else is making clear in the episode, this is not where they want to be. Uh, Russert volunteers to go for a ride along. Right. Right? Like, throws herself into it. And she even says at that point, she's like, it's an addiction. Like, I, I need this. And... It's but kind on of like Christmas a, Eve. Yeah, right, right. Like do it, do it two days from then. Right. Um, what a weird, yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. I think that speaks to her. You know, this is where she can go and find purpose and occupy her yeah. mind and do stuff. Like obviously, it's probably sad being at home. You yeah. know, with uh, her situation with Michael. Hmm. Um. So yeah, so Russert and Lewis, they're sitting at the bar, they're just kind of talking about their love lives, and that's not even the mm-hmm. end of that storyline yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go and they tell the mother that they found their uh, her daughter's killer. Right. Um, that's a little weird, isn't it? Yeah. Is that a weird thing for them to do? Uh, not necessarily. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's... It, <laughs> there's another thing, too. There's another aspect of this episode. One thing in particular stuck out to me with the timeline of, like, what time of day it is for all this, right? Because, like, if they're doing that chronologically, they went in, they made that bus probably sometime, like, around dawn or whatever. This is the first thing in the morning. They're coming back to the house that they were just at, what, six hours ago? Right. Like, eight hours ago? Right. Um, and catching her, she's, like, getting up in the morning. Um, she thanks them for letting her letting her know. And then, like, crash, cracks one of the ornaments, throws one of the ornaments down. Um, and then, yeah, so that's the, uh, that's that. Again, exhibiting odd behavior. So she's angry. Angry at what? We don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, she's taking it out on something that right. we can't imagine. I can't imagine she's right. mad about the, the Christmas balls. Right. Um, you want to talk about uh, Munch and Bolander? Sure. Or was Was there any other anything else about that storyline? No. I thought it was great. I thought it was really really fun. 
pretty classic homicide feel. Yeah, it was good. Um, so now we have Munch and Bolander. Uh, and the episode actually starts with the two of them uh, for the second week at least in a row. <laughs> they must be so much fun to write cold <laughs> openings <laughs> for because, like, just a great, um, you know, yin and yang in those two. But uh, Bolander is dressing a Christmas tree. Uh, gets gets across the idea that this is the graveyard, graveyard shift. Um, and they're talking about, like, uh, I guess the season, but even deeper than that. Um, I really liked when Bolander was saying, we have to celebrate miracles. Right. Like, that's an important thing, and that, that's what Christmas is. Um, and yeah, uh, how about a, how about a, how about the fact that I haven't killed you yet? Like, one of the most quotable lines right. in the history of Homicide. Uh, also, later in the episode, not very much later, Ho Ho Homicide. Right, I know calls. Yeah. Um, so, uh, their storyline is they discover this, San- uh, like a Santa, a bell ringing Santa. Right. Uh, they catch this case where the guy's been stabbed five or six times or whatever. And they quickly find out where that person lives. They go to the house and there's just a kid there by himself watching TV or whatever. Um, there was like this was definitely like a genre of movie for a while <laughs> where it was like like cop and a half, right? Like that was a I think it was a Burt Reynolds movie where it's like him and a kid are teamed up and like I'm sure Jonathan Taylor Thomas did something where it was like a cop and a kid, kindergarten cop, right? And so we have this dynamic through this episode where Bolander. Basically, neither Munch nor Bolander wants to say your father's, father's dead. dead. Yeah. Right. So they Bolander leaves Munch. Yeah. yeah. And then it's on Munch to just tell him. And like, man, there's probably like four instances in this episode where he's ju- you think he's just about to do it. And something happens. Yeah, he just can't do it. Which feels against character, right? Is that something yeah. that you would expect from Munch? No. That kind of like... Munch, Munch got thrown off his game. Yeah. By the kid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, like a cute kid, too. Yeah. This kid is like so... He wasn't a bad kid. No, yeah. He's he so didn't do goofy. anything wrong. And you can tell that he's in a pretty messed up situation. Uh, the way that he talks about his dad, you kind of glean like, all right, this guy's an alcoholic and like, he doesn't has no home mom. a lot. He has got someone living upstairs who takes care of him. Um, but in the kid's... like. His earnest portrayal of his dad, saying that he's like on secret missions and stuff all the time, like, yeah, you really get a sense that this kid, maybe even is like is aware and is lying to him to themselves. You know, like he understands what the situation is, but, um, but yeah, Munch is just unable to be blunt about this. Do you think so? Do you think the kid really gets what his dad is like, or no? I, I feel like in for for a person to offer as many um, examples of how cool their father is, I think that's them <laughs> saying it out loud, even though, even though deep down inside they know it's not okay. true. Um, the kid doesn't have like have any uh, like let's say it was mm-hmm. true, huh. right? Let's say that the father huh. was actually like a CIA secret mission guy out there doing all this stuff who would sometimes not come home at night because he had a mission that was very important. Wouldn't the kid be annoyed by that? Yeah. Right? Like, this kid is, like, is like explaining it that behavior away. Um, That's a good point. So they make a trip to the 
uh, batting cages together. <laughs> this is like such a weird. We're seeing Munch way out of his element, uh, talking to a kid, and then doing. He's swinging a baseball bat in there, and um, it's also weird that Munch is Munch is in the batting cages, and the kid is also in the batting cage, like on the wrong side of the fence. Right. Like, I thought he's gonna get hit with. The I thought first the same page. thing. I'm like, why are they doing that? <laughs> Could have been hit in the head. Yeah, stand two feet away. Yeah. It's just a fence. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they... Um, it's just... I guess that, that whole storyline is just kind of watching Munch... Oh, and well, that's the scene in the batting cage. Uh, he, like, it almost goes after the kid. Like, not physically, but verbally is like, oh, you think your dad is so much better than me because I can't hit a baseball and the kid starts crying I mean like Munch knows that this guy is dead right right? like he kind of goes over kind of he goes over the line yeah maybe and maybe that is like we know I think it's fair to say Munch is immature oh Um, of course and like maybe that's just what we're seeing there is that kind of flare up and his his inability to interact with the kid Um, but uh yeah, the kids like tell him much he has a weird face and stuff throughout the episode. Like it does seem like the perfect the perfect character foil to Munch is this like, you know. Now, you know what strikes me? Here's a real miracle that the kid's father is not dead. And Munch doesn't even mention it. Right. He doesn't think, hey, it's just like a miracle. His father isn't dead. Yeah. It doesn't... Things like that pass him by in life. Right. He can only see the negative a lot of times. Yeah. And he was very negative. For sure. The whole episode. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, To Bo Lander's point, like, you need to celebrate (laughs) miracles, and he's just unable to do that. Right. Even when one clearly happens right Right. in front of him. Yeah, I mean, that is, like, the craziest part of the storyline, is that right as Munch is about to do it, and he really was, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we have to talk about your dad. Your dad is. Mm-hmm. There's a knock on the door. The door opens, and this guy in Long John's uh-huh. comes running in. So the story there is that he like passed out while he was ringing the bell, and then someone put on his costume. Something like that. Yeah, and then someone came by, stabbed that person. Right. And then robbed them. But they never really go into how they. Right, how do they find his father? They never tell you. Yeah. Like, where did he go? And how did... How did he find him? How did Bolander find him? Yeah. Which, I like... Based on what? Ultimately, I guess, is not that important to this story. Like, they still convey all... But, like, I'm interested in knowing... Yeah. What, what, was, what was the in-between there? Um, it feels like two for two in storylines that have maybe <laughs> just, like, a little sliver of Act 2 or Act 3... Yeah, yeah. That, like, could have been... Would have been interesting to see, um, but again, you're right. It doesn't ruin it, but it's just like, come on. Yeah, wait. A, tell yeah, me what happened. Hold on a second here. What? Um, for a show that I, again, I I think one of the things I really love about this is the that realness that like we're we're starting to see them kind of distance themselves from that from the first two seasons, um, and even some of the stuff in the. But I mean, like the episode we just saw. Um, no, that was the K's episode. I guess the Crosetti episode had this like kind of gritty, dark realness to it, like emotional element. 
this feels like something that is totally against that, having the dad just kind of walk in. Right. And then this, like, crazy... I mean, in what world does this ever happen? Right. Someone else would dress up like a Santa and volunteer <laughs> to be the bell ringer right. Right, for the bucket of change. Uh, feels really crazy. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that kid's name is Fidel, too. Is that... You think that's a kid's real name, Fidel? Or is, yeah. he, just, is he just yanking chains? No, I think it's, it's odd. It is odd, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was great. Um... I would say as much as we haven't seen Lewis, I would say the same for Munch. Uh, that character is so bold. There are such strong flavors in the character of Munch that um, to see, we never really see Munch sweat. Hmm. You know, He's always just kind of making bold declarations. A cold open here and there and something silly, some punchline in the episode. But to actually see him like, you know, trip up, see him unable to do something, I feel like that's something we really haven't seen from yeah, it's a good point. Um, he is like, can you imagine Detective Munch like solving a case? You know what I mean? Like we see him just be like a kind of like a silly goofball in the office, like actually like doing like hard police work. I think, in despite himself, he can. Yeah, but. He chooses to get through life by acting a certain way. Yeah. Sarcastic, not caring, but he cares. Yeah. I also feel, too, every time we see the two of them, like all, I would, it would be interesting to go back and see how many of the cases that they're working, Bolander's the primary on instead of Munch. Because it feels like that is not an even 50-50 no, no. split. But... Um, but I think that's that's great. That's uh, if Detective Munch exists best in the in the cracks, you know, then that's awesome. Um, so our third storyline <laughs> is also really silly, um, but that sort of like a slice of life that I really appreciate, which is um, Bayless is trying to get a card game going hmm. at the office. So this is like an ensemble storyline where we have everybody else. Um, they're all just hanging out on Christmas Eve at work. And for whatever reason, he is like fixed on getting a game of hearts going. Um, and everyone keeps shooting him down. Uh, Frank's the funniest. <laughs> because he doesn't even say it to Frank. And Frank says no. Yeah, yeah. Immediately, he knows right. what's going on. Uh, I guess, yeah, but, uh, Bayless talks to Felton first. And uh, Bo Felton is like, uh, seems to be almost like out of his mind. He looks like he's like wasted or something. Yeah, he looks back to the way he used to look. Yeah, and he's uh, he's saying to Bayless, he's like, you have no idea what it tonight is like to be here. Um, Bayless is like, hey, let's play hearts. And Felton is like, being here on Christmas Eve, playing hearts with you is enough to make me put a bullet in my head. Yeah, it's kind of mean. Very, very super mean, super mm-hmm. mean. Um, so Felton kind of like opens up to, to Bayless a little bit, but in a, in a mean way and is like, you have no idea what this, what this is like to be away from his kids and all that. Um, so then, uh, he goes, uh, Bayless goes to Kay, Kay won't play hearts either. Hmm. And then, yeah, Frank, at this point, Frank <laughs> knows what's going on. Right. And just has no interest hmm. in, in going along. Um, but Bayless does find someone to sit down in Detective 
or Shift Chief G, who's <laughs> acting so, you knew something was coming on. Yeah. Because he acted so weird. That's one of my notes for uh, one of these card playing scenes is, uh, this is like a cartoon. Like, they're, like, it's just the two of them, and they're both putting on these, like, such weird... I don't know if it's, like, personas to coax the other person. It seemed like that. What's, this is such a strange thing for Bayless to be, like, he's going to try to get someone's money through cards. Like, he's doing a grift in his mind. Hmm. And G is, like, giving it right back uh-huh. to him and doing the same thing. Um, yeah, so they... Hmm. Uh, they end up getting a game going. Here's the other, the point where I first was like, wait a second, what's mm-hmm. going on with the timeline here? Because this episode, one thing I really like about it was that it, it took place over the course of one shift. So this all happens, this is a contained Correct. story in one right, right. Um, in one uh, day. But uh, in that one scene, he has that watch. G has the watch that he yes. found in his desk. And he says, according to this watch, it's almost dawn. And then the rest of the, uh, Tim opens up the door and everyone who is outside listening to them play cards and or is now interested in playing fall into the room. Which, and, which was an absurd scene, by right. the way. That is like so cartoony, TV, right? right? Yeah. The, the three people are leaned up against the door and then they fall in the door when someone it's opens like three it. three stooges. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, Kay is like, let's call and get a pizza. Well, it's almost dawn. Where right. is the 24-hour pizza, pizza place, place in yeah. Baltimore? <laughs> Good like, point. Yeah. Because I was like, mm-hmm. unless it's not, maybe not as late, but still, late-night pizza delivery mm-hmm. is tough. Tough to come come by. Um, so, yeah, they end up, uh, they're all in there playing cards. As the end, as the episode ends and our storylines kind of all come together there, uh, they come back and... G's like cleaned cleaned up, hmm. wiped everybody out, and um, Munch departs the information to Bayless that like G hmm. put a kid through college. He <laughs> says uh, playing right. hearts. He's a hustler. Yeah, and G says what like never try to hustle a Sicilian. A Sicilian. Yep. Yeah. Um. So that's the that's really just that it's a super quick, super simple. Um, it's a storyline that just involves everyone else. Um, interesting to pick Bayless for that. This yeah. is, does that feel against type for yeah, you? In some ways, yeah. Like, I, if it was Felton, right? If Bo Felton was going around trying to get a hearts game going, that would kind of make sense. I just felt that Bayless is a kind... You know, Felton wouldn't care about the, the uh, emotions of the whole crew. But Bayless would. Yeah. It's like Frank wouldn't care. Kay wouldn't care. Lewis might. Bolander would. Yeah. So I think they had to pick someone who you could say, eh, they might actually care. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. that uh, scene ends. And again, with these extra mm-hmm. couple minutes that we're getting in these episodes, the whole crew goes outside and they're all just like shouting Merry Christmas. They have a Make snowball fight. Yeah. Uh, it's snow and they're all snow. And it's real snow. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Um, is it real? I think so. Yeah, it looks good. Otherwise, they did a really good job. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're... Uh, and they were even saying in the episode, it's unusual that it's snowing in Baltimore. Right. And it is on... It's a Christmas morning. They're all out there. And like, 
yeah, I mean, I guess like the um, outside of being just a television kind of like ham-fisted way to oh, it's mm-hmm. a holiday moment, right? Um, kind of in line with that episode is that they're they are like finding some kind of joy in the holiday. They're just finding it around each other. So even though the whole time they're saying, "I don't want to be here. This is not the this is not the right day to be at this place," or "I can't believe I'm working on Christmas Eve." That moment of joy comes from all of them kind of being... And I would say they all got some joy from being there. Right. A little bit. Yeah. So something happened that... I mean, don't you think that uh, Lewis and... um, What's her name? Russert. Russert felt better by the end of the episode. Yeah, sure. Sure. So... And yeah, even like in his, in the way that Munch is, like it probably has plenty to complain about from this episode, right? Like, why, why didn't he call me? Why right, didn't he let me right. know? What, I, you know. And Bo Lander will be happy. He'll call it a miracle that they found the kid's dad. And that he got a night off from Munch. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, the mother, Nancy Marchand, She's just an unhappy person. Yeah, right. But maybe it helped them, you know, realize that with all her money, it didn't mean anything. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that relationship was non-existent before, you know, like, yeah. But what do you think? Uh, Who's your winner and loser for this episode? The loser's Nancy... Martian. Yeah. Very despicable. Just, you know what? Not despicable. I feel bad for her. Yeah, right. She has a very lonely, pitiful life. And as far as a winner, I'd probably go with um, Russert because she steps out of her comfort zone comes in on her day off and does something good yeah yeah that's totally Mm -hmm. makes sense um and i think russert probably more than everyone else found exactly what russert was looking for out of this like is now is going to go home just in time to catch her daughter right whatever open up the stockings um which i thought was a weird thing for her to say to Nancy to, to that mother character she was like I want to I was hoping she's like oh can I get you coffee and the two of them shoot daggers at each other like no 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 we gotta get out of here uh, and she's like no I was hoping to get home to watch my daughter open her stocking like you just told this woman hours ago that her, her daughter daughter's died. dead yeah um, I'm, I'll be even a little more literal uh, winner G loser Bayless uh, Bayless <laughs> lost all his money playing cards uh, and G made some money has something to be happy about on this uh, fine Christmas morning. Hmm. Um, cool. What, what did you, overall, what did you think? I thought it was a good episode. Yeah. Good, but not great. Sure. I think compared to the stuff that they've been doing this season, I really, it, this felt like, uh, I won't say like long overdue. But it's a more straightforward homicide episode. Yeah. But it's got the Christmas motif in there which changed you know they kind of made it happy at the end yeah right which normally they don't do happy right 
Yeah. As they told NBC, show about homicide. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, and that's like, that's the thing, is that you can see those, like, the impulses that I think really make this show what it is. These more character-based, you know, details, slice-of-life stuff uh, that are really on display in this episode, but uh, kind of play out in ways like that. Yeah, this, like, <laughs> having this joyful holiday element of it, too, kind of makes it a little strange. But, um, yeah, this is maybe one of my favorite episodes in the season so far. Um a great, a great episode that, again, I'll say after the last couple that we've had, is certainly welcomed. Um, return to form. So, Drew, if people want to contact us and leave comments or email us, what should they do? Uh, they should, first of all, they should absolutely uh, send emails, leave comments. We love uh, everything that we get from the fans. That's why we do this, is to communicate with other people who who love this show. So thank you so much to the people who do email and send a message or tweet at us or whatever. Um, they can uh, email us at uh, from red to black pod at gmail.com or they can tweet at us uh, at red to black pod on Twitter. Um, and yeah, leave a review too. Leave a review on iTunes. That helps. And wait us as well. Yeah. Well, uh, there we go. There's a new, uh, the most recent episode for us. Uh, that we can now turn from red to black. So long.